0: You know, in every city on rural country roads, there are these places full of millions of memories. Cemeteries. Cemeteries. In the greatest of cities and in the smallest back country road, millions of memories are held. And it's all held in a monument. In a piece of stone. Where people come and and this stone helps them to remember the name inscribed on it. It's amazing to me that a simple stone, sometimes it's just covered in grass. A little plaque in the grass that you can uncover, but yet a million memories. You have one person there, they might be able to share a hundred memories. You have ten people there, they could share collectively, memory upon memory. Some of these monuments are As I said, covered in grass. Some are massive and beautiful structures. Either way, they are all meant to uh, help you to recall the person. The memory upon uh, this person's life. What was their life? It's amazing as you wander around cemeteries and you just read. read. Family names. Ages. What, what maybe their family thought would capture them with a word or a saying or a phrase or a verse. What was it that was important to them, whether it's a picture. It's incredible to think of the millions upon millions of memories, even within our own community. You take a 10 minute drive and you'll go to multiple cemeteries and you can look at millions of memories held within a stone, a monument set up to remember. That is not something that is new. We know cemeteries have been around for a very, very long time. But so have rock monuments. Stones set up in a pile so that people would remember. In Joshua, if you want to turn there, Joshua chapter 4 is an example of one of the earliest stone piles set up. One of the earliest, not the earliest, but one of that was. A humongous monument for the people of Israel. This is where Joshua is now leading the people of Israel. Moses has gone on to be with the Lord. And they have come to the river Jordan. On the other side is the promised land. The land that God has said you will go into with my blessing and and my power and my might and my strength. And Joshua now stands at the edge of this Jordan River. And it's incredible what he says uh, earlier in the book of Joshua. He says um, in chapter three, uh, where was it? He said, uh, chapter three, verse five. He says to the people, "Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Tell them, get yourselves ready, set yourselves apart, uh, get yourselves right with God, because tomorrow He's going to do wonders among you, and you're going to see." And so that's exactly what happened. The priests took up the Ark of the Lord. And as soon as they stepped one foot in the river Jordan, just like at the Red Sea, it dried up. There was a passage through. It's incredible to think of the parallels of these two uh, stories in the scripture. So God led the people out of Egypt by Moses to the water where they thought they were trapped. And the rescue was a miracle of God. The only way they escaped was by God's miracle. The miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea, where they were able to walk through on dry ground, and then the sea closed up after them again. Well, here now, they've now on the other side of the Red Sea, wandered around for 40 years, generation has died off, and now under the leadership of Joshua, they stand in another body of water. And what's between them and what is next is this river. And it's going to take a miracle of God to get there. A deliverance of God. The way of God determining for them. And so, God has said it. Do as I say. So they did. They took the Ark of the Covenant, representing uh, and, and physically meaning to them the presence of God. So they took the Ark, the priest took it, and stepped into the river and it split. The water was held up. They were able to walk in. And it was amazing. In this account, they walk in and they stand in the middle of the river. And they stood there while the entire people passed them. It's incredible. But what, remember what the ark is. The presence of God. It was the presence of God. And the people knew that. That God was doing this thing. That God was delivering them. That God was finally bringing them to this place that he had promised long ago. It was God who was doing such a thing. And so when Joshua, leading these people, he wanted to remember this forever. He wanted the people never, ever to forget. And and you remember, you can recall, even as you read through the Old Testament, how many times God points his people back to the deliverance out of Egypt. How many times does he say, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God who delivered you out of slavery. I'm the one who rescued you. Remember, remember, remember. Remembering was so important, not only for their worship, but for their life, for their obedience, for their joy. To remember. And So Joshua then sets up a memorial stone. A stone memorial to Recall what God has done. This wondrous thing that they were to see and experience they did. So stone piles were set up. In chapter 4, this is account of the second stone pile. First was on the one side. Now the second, as they got through, is here as we read in Joshua chapter 4. Verse 20 says this. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan... Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stone mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. Just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us and so we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever it's incredible a simple stone pile a pillar made in order to pique children's curiosity to have a question asked what does that mean They could tell that it wasn't just a lump of stones that happened by accident. There was something about this pillar that children were to ask, what's the story behind that? Now, of course, it was 12 stones, so they would have already started to connect that. Okay, that probably represents the 12 tribes. Okay, they could get that far. But then they need someone to explain the rest. Why is it here? What does it mean that it's beside this river? Did the stones come from the river? And if so, how? Did someone go scuba diving? Right, The stories behind this stone monument were intentional. But the stories didn't speak for themselves. They needed to be taught. This thing was just a monument. It was to recall to mind the, the fathers of the father and the children of the generation to come where they would say, Oh, yes. That pillar, let me tell you. Let me tell you. And the ultimate goal of it, as I read at the end of the verse here in verse 24, was so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You may revere him, be left in awe and wonder at him forever. That's why the pillar was set up. Not to recall the memories of, oh, wasn't Joshua a great leader? Not to recall, wow, those people were really brave and courageous to step foot through the river. No, it wasn't to recall any of that. The monument wasn't set up for the people's memory. It was set up to commemorate what God has done, to celebrate the wondrous work of God. This unique pile of stones would be both familiar and foreign to a child. The familiarity of the 12 stones, but totally foreign to why they're there and what had happened. And what stories there about God and his faithfulness to his people. That was the whole point of setting up this pillar. The very point of it was to be able to tell children and the children's children, which is to have the memory of what God had done, not forgotten. Because if it is forgotten... Then, of course, there's no reverence of God. There's no understanding of his mighty works that day in that place. There'd be just a distant memory for one guy who died off. Or that whole generation who died off and who never passed it on. So the, the pillar of stones, the monument, was to recall what had been done. What God had done. It's incredible. The, the, the whole command of the Old Testament to just be able to pass on to the generations to come was so vitally important. It's something that maybe we even forget today is the, the responsibility on us to pass on the torch and the memories and the, not just the memories, but the, um, the person of God to the next generation and to generations to come. The legacy that we are to leave and not just for our name and as a monument on a stone, but what will that stone say about God? What will my life, what will my death be as a monument for when children say, well, what does that mean? What did their life mean? Will it be standing as a pillar of stone that someone could tell a story of and people would know the story of not your greatness, not your accomplishments, but instead what God had done in you, through you, and to you? That's what our lives are for, is to be this pillar of stone, a monument of God's might, and faithfulness. We are designed by God to be those who pass on to generation to generation all about Him. I love it in the Old Testament. This is a common theme. They thought of it very often about uh, making sure their children understood and the grandchildren and generations. They constantly thought about ten generations from now. They were always thinking that way. And so when Moses in Deuteronomy says, chapter 6, he says this, Um, And these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Basically, you should talk about them all the time, these words that I'm telling you today. When you're sitting down or when you're walking and when you're lying down and when you're rising up, there's no other time. There's no other position to be in. There's there's walking and sitting and lying and rising. What else can you be doing? Jumping? It's all inclusive. When you are doing life, you are to be teaching these things diligently to your children. It carries on. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Was it just the commands though? Because he says, these words that I command you today, you shall teach diligently to your children. Was it just the commands that he intended for them to pass down? Make sure they get the law. Make sure they understand the rules. Was that what he had intended? Partially. He began that section of Deuteronomy by saying this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. These words. God is one. He is one, and you shall love him with all your being. Those things teach them to your children. But I love what it says. It doesn't just say, uh, make it a regiment. Make it a memory game. It says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. It shouldn't just be just on your doorpost, just as a decoration in your house, just as a tattoo on your arm. That's not the only place these messages should be. Oh, love God. Yeah, great sign. Does it apply in your house? Does it apply when you're uh, thinking about others? Right, They shouldn't just be decor ideas. They should be written on your heart. And you're to teach them diligently to your children. Not just by saying, well, look at that, right? Look at the doorpost, right? Or, or, or look at that monument, right? Don't just look elsewhere. Don't just think about the law of God as something separate from me. But instead... I am to have these things written on my heart. I'm to love the Lord my God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. And that's what I'm to pass on to my children. Parenting is hard. Christian parenting is even harder. I thought it would be the, not easiest, but I thought, okay, it's pretty basic. You know, you teach them about God, you teach them to love God, you teach them the law of God, and Boom. That's not the way it is. We all know that still we are still sinners who are rebellious at nature. And so we just push back. We want, as parents, to instill God's law on our kids' hearts. We want them to know what's right and what's wrong according to what God says. And that's, that's right. And that's good that we want them to know what God has said is right and wrong. But if we're simply just trying to pass on a message that isn't applicable to our own hearts, It's useless. It's utterly useless. We, we know that we want to discipline our children in the way of the Lord. You know the phrase, whoever spares the rod, right? Whoever spares the rod hates his son, Proverbs thirteen twenty four says. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Discipline doesn't just mean physically discipline. It means take the time and teach. Teach them discipline. Teach them to study. Teach them to look at who God is. Or train a child up in the way he should go. And whenever he is old, he will not depart from it. We take those things sometimes as promises and they're not. They're principles. But principles that are totally dependent on your heart. Your heart. Sure, you might be, train a child up in the way he goes. In the way he should go. But from where is that coming? Just your doorposts and the the law that says, God says you should do this and yet your heart is not loving him with all of it, and your soul is not loving God, and your strength is not loving God, your children will see right through you. They'll see you as an absolute hypocrite, as everyone does. We all see each other as hypocrites. Uh, How many people do people say, oh, well, check out the log in your own eye. Don't judge the speck in my eye. Kids are the same way. They just don't have that lingo. They say, what? Who are you to judge me? Like You lose your cool all the time. You're, You're not patient. I find myself doing that all the time. I teach my kids, try to tell my kids to be patient, and I'm totally impatient with them. It's like, oh, they see it. They see right through it. So then if it's not in my own heart, the law of God has not transformed my own heart, trying to train them up in the way you should go, thinking he'll never depart from it, is foolishness. If it's not coming from a heart that loves God. And an example that is set. We rightly want to give them a sense of God's right, God's wrong. But where it flows from is not just a statement somewhere else. But what statement does the monument of my life leave? The heart of me, the heart of you. What does that speak? What does it tell of God? That God is a lawgiver only? Or does it tell that God is a savior and a friend? Someone who will pick you up when you're broken, someone who forgives you when you've messed up. What does your life say that God is? It's incredible that we have this responsibility to pass on generation after generation, but it flows from our heart, not just our heads. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says, only take care to keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from you all the days of your life and make them known to your children and to your children's children. So there again, this reminder, let them let let, let what God has done be known to your grandchildren even. But it says that verse began in Deuteronomy four, nine by saying, only take care, take care to keep your soul diligently. Keep your soul diligently. Don't just keep up your law-keeping. Don't just keep up the rule book. Keep your soul diligently so that you don't forget what you've seen God do. And it would depart from you. Let your children know. But it's what your soul has kept. Or in Joel chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. Pass on what God has done. Psalm 78's beautiful capturing of this says, My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known that our ancestors have passed down to us. We will not hide from them from our children, but we will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works that he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob, and he set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, so that the future generation, children yet to be born, so that they might know. They were to raise and to tell their children so that, here's the reason, they may put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like our ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. We don't want them to be like our former generation, our ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, not loyal, not faithful. So what do we do? We tell them the praiseworthy acts of the Lord. What has God done? Don't let your life be about you building a legacy for yourself as a person. Look at me. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have accomplished. I hope people like me the end, it doesn't matter because whether they like you or or don't like you, whether you're the most likable person out there because you just pleased everybody by doing gifts or just being funny or being like, whatever it is, at the end of the day, none of that lasts. None of it lasts. And they might still become a stubborn, rebellious generation, not loyal and unfaithful to God. The way they don't is when they see your life sacrificed on the altar of God saying, I'm all for him. Everything I have is his everything, my heart, my soul, my strength, it's all his, it's all his. And I want to declare the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. It's not too late to do that. It's never too late to shift your focus, to go, I ought to make sure that my kids and my grandkids and and their kids and their grandkids know of the wondrous things the Lord has done in my life. Pass on a Bible with notes in it to your kids. Tell them to give it to their kids. Pass on a prayer journal. Write a journal. Journal your your faith this year and what God is teaching you this year, the ups and the downs, so that they might not become a stubborn, rebellious generation. Pass it on. Let them see your love for God is not just like writing on the wall, it's not just something that is fake. But your soul grieves when you sin. Write it down. Pass it on. Let them see the wondrous works of God in that you're not left grieving in your sin. Instead, you can reign victorious because of what Christ has done. Let them see you go through that um, sin and seeking forgiveness and repentance. Let them see. Let them know. Let that be the monument of your life. Let that be the pillar. When people ask, what does this life mean? What was their life about? What was their life for? Let it not just be, oh, they loved golf. How many funerals I've heard? Oh, they really loved golf. Who cares? Who cares? How did that help their grandchildren and two generations down? It didn't. So then when we think about our own lives... And the monument were to leave. I'm not talking about the stone that you have picked out. What's the monument of your life? What does it mean? Think of what these stones meant. Joshua chapter 4, the end was the reason why these stones were set. Verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Can people look at your life? And then one day your death and say, I know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. God had done great things in them and through them while they were weak. I saw some miraculous strength to care for others, to give more than they ever had. What what strength of the Lord do people see in you? What, What do they see in you putting God first in your heart? That's what it comes down to. That's what Moses said to pass on to all the generations, to to pass these things on, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He repeated that back. The greatest command, the greatest thing you can ever pursue in your life is to love God with everything. And then that might be an example for the future generations to look at and to read into your life and to see as a monument. And to be told about Go back to the stone pile that stands beside the River Jordan. If a curious child just walked upon it, they'd just see a bunch of stones. They'd say, oh, that's unique. I wonder if that represents the 12 tribes, and that's about maybe as far as they could go. They need people to tell them. They need it to be told. The story, tell the story of what God has done in your life. If God has done something, if God has brought you through a hard season, And and you felt his nearness. Just tell that to someone. Like, we're so busy in trying not to offend people, trying not to break up relationships in this life that our life will be over and we'll have missed all those opportunities to say, I wish I would have told them that in that really hard time I still knew God was near. Or that even when I couldn't speak, I I still trusted God. I wish I would have told them. It will be too late. Let us not live our lives being so concerned about Damaging relationships when ultimately there will be ultimate damage if the future generations don't know the might and the power of God. The reason the stone pillar was set up, the reason our lives are to be set up as a monument, is so that they may see and know the hand of the Lord is mighty. And so that it finishes by saying, You may fear the Lord your God forever, that you may tremble before him at his might and his power and his working. Let that be our lives. So that our lives, when people look at us, they may ask for the reason of the hope in us, right? 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, and listen how it begins, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. In your heart, it begins with, in your hearts, Honor Christ, the Lord, is holy. Set Him apart solely as your God and your Savior and your everything. And then be ready. Be ready to give an answer. Answer. Don't just set up this monument and be like, oh, I hope my, hope my life preaches something to people. Answer people. Tell people. Make a defense of what God has done. The reason of the hope that is in you. And I love how that verse carries on. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. Our life is on display. But what is it displaying? It's amazing to think that we get the opportunity to tell another generation. Those who, if the Lord does not return, will be standing on this earth in 2070. Imagine the day. Imagine the day that is churchless, Christless, where generation after generation people have kept silent. In order to not offend. And then what? It'll be a pile of stones. And a kid will say, well that's interesting. And they'll say, what does it mean? And no one will tell them. No one will know. These monuments are set up to declare the might of God. Is God's might not worthy to be declared at the rooftops? Is it not worth for me to feel uncomfortable to say, you know what? I just want to tell this person what God did for me this this year. As I recall on this year, what has God done for me? Write it in a note. Send it to your kids. Send it to your grandkids. This is what I think God has done in my life this year. Send it to them. Tell them. Set up a rock monument so they may see the might and the power of God. You don't have to say anything about them. Just display to them. Set up this monument of what God has done and the might that God has worked and how you so trust in it and you so believe in it. Pass that on. Let them see and know and be left to fear the Lord your God forever. To be left in awe and wonder at why would God do such a thing? Why now? Why me? We consider our lives not just as a stone that will one day stand or maybe be covered in grass, you know the, the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? Uh, Joseph Scriven wrote that hymn. And his, you know, being a famous hymn writer, his tomb is on a backcountry road you can barely find in, a, in an unmaintained graveyard, covered in grass. There's only about 10 or 12 graves in this entire graveyard. And he's forgotten, other than his song we sing on. That happens. People come and people go. Stones are erected or covered in grass. But ultimately, what is the life that will stand? What is that person, you, that will stand as a monument for God so that the might of the Lord might be known and the people may fear him forever? Is that what our life will be? A pillar of what has been. A A recollection of what God has done. A story to tell the generations to come of God's faithfulness, of God's strength, of God's love, of God's mercy. What what does our life tell as our our pillar of how God has worked in us? We want our lives to stand not just as a a, a good legacy for our kids in a million ways. Those are good and right things to do. We, We want the future generations to know right and wrong and that's good to do. But if it's all empty phrases, if our hearts are not in love with the Lord, that's nothing we can pass on. You can pass on the law all day long, but unless you you pass on the motivation and people understand why you wanted to love the Lord, because he loved you first, then it might be useless. Well, let this pillar of our lives be one that is a story to tell of love. Love from God for you. Love from you to God. And love that has transformed the way you live, vertically and horizontally. Because God has loved me, I want to love others sacrificially, laying my life down for others unconditionally. I'm not going to put conditions, if I can, on people's love. I'm human, though. And so then it always comes back to the love and the might and the power of God. That's what I want the pillar to be set up about. And that's what I love in Joshua. He, he did not want this moment to be forgotten. He didn't want the people not just to forget that, oh, look, it, we traveled through this really hard time. Remember us. Think about us. He didn't care. He cared solely that they remembered God's might. They remembered God's presence. They God's nearness to them. May our lives be a pillar of what God has done. Let's pray. Oh God, you do great things. And so many great things that even in our own lives we've neglected to share. We've, we've not told. We've not written down. We've not passed on. May we be more intentional to do so. Set up pillars, memorials of what you have done, of the power that you have displayed. We have that specifically if we have confessed our sins and repented and believed the gospel. If we have come and that has been the monument in our life where we can look back to that moment and say, look what God has done. He, He rescued me. He brought me out of darkness into light. He forgave me. God, we thank you for those moments for each of us who have embraced Christ. We pray for those moments for everyone we know who has not yet embraced Christ. Pray that our lives, our love for you, might speak to them, might show them, might allow them to tremble before you at the wonder of who you are, so that they may too come and have a moment in their life, a monument of your faithfulness, your love, and your nearness. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have not abandoned your people ever, and you never will. May we be those who tremble before you all the days of our life and forevermore. In Christ's name, amen.